The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, May 19th, 6.34, as usual, sitting in this little closet with my cats, ready to go. The weather report, um, it might rain <laughs> in a few minutes. It's been pretty warm here. It's going to be like 90 this weekend, which is a little crazy. How about you? It's um been still, yeah, like some of the mornings have been absolutely freezing, but it's been quite nice during the days. Like that's what it is here. Like it doesn't ever get super cold. It doesn't snow where I live. So um, it's quite pleasant at the moment. You know, I don't really want it to get too much colder, but we have pretty generally mild winters anyway here where I live. But yeah, been nice. No rain. I think the rain's meant to come back for the weekend as usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's my cat. Here's Peep on the desk. <laughs> Ready to help. Put her in my lap. See if she'll stay. I was just going to say, we had lots of messages about how he spoke about the echidna, Elmo and Daisy last week. He's still around. I do think from what I've read, he will hibernate soon as it gets a no. little bit colder. <laughs> I hope not. Like I, I do find now he's, because we have an acreage and some of it doesn't get a lot of sun in winter. So when I've seen him around lately, he's only in the sunny bits, oh, no. which makes sense. So um, I don't know. He was here yesterday. I haven't seen him yet this morning. I hope he comes back. I'll, he'll be sad when he goes away for the winter. You need to put out like a heating lamp. <laughs> yeah. stay out. A tanning bed. <laughs> Vicky's. <laughs> I should have purchased it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably cheap. <laughs> But yeah, he's still around. He's very cute. I know lots of people asked, so he put a photo up on our Instagram story last night. I think it was my time of him and Daisy. So still friends. However, their friendship might be short-lived for a little while Seasonal. over winter. <laughs> wonder what she'll find to entertain herself over winter. <laughs> uh, maybe Are there any winter critters? I don't know. I don't know. Well, everything here pretty much because we get snakes, which obviously she's not going to play yeah. with the snake, but they're all away for winter. Um, no, I don't think we do get winter critters really hmm. i feel like you don't really get like real winter anyways <laughs> no like down further south in australia it gets colder and snows and things like that but i'm on the coast and it's pretty yeah pretty mild yeah are you getting ready for your big trip i don't think we've talked about it on here but <laughs> yeah she, olivia's coming to the u.s but not to see me <laughs> <laughs> hopefully like this is our third i think time rescheduled over covid um, we're planning on hopefully three weeks in um, on the west coast of America from between June and July. So I've been trying to get ready. I'm still a bit nervous because the US has a COVID testing rule still to in, enter the country. So I've somehow remained COVID free apparently up till now. I'm just hoping we don't get it right before we go. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's my main concern. But yeah, very, very excited. We're taking the kids to Disneyland and doing all the touristy things hopefully fingers crossed yeah and you said they don't know no well because we told them the other times when we'd planned it and then you to tell them no we can't go you know it's just not able to go it was so disappointing so we said this time we're not going to tell them just in case something mm. happens so they do know we are going on a holiday but I've told them we're just going to Queensland which is another state here and we've been there loads of times before but just so they like I had to buy suitcases and things like that because we're going for such a long time 
and I knew they'd ask 50,000 questions. So <laughs> I've got kind of a backup holiday story. I've booked fake flights and showed them fake hotels that we're going to stay yeah. at. So <laughs> I think when they actually find <laughs> out, funny. if we get there, they will just, oh my God, they'll blow their minds. <laughs> their dreams Next year you'll have to come in the winter. Mm, I would love to do that. And no, not over here. It's cold. It's a 13 or 14 hour direct flight from Sydney to LA. So I've done that quite a few times. I think I've mentioned before, we actually used to live in Canada, but I've never done it with kids. So mm. it'll be interesting. But then to get to New York or that side is like another, what, six hours? Yeah, I think so. So yeah, it's a long time, but hopefully <laughs> next time we'll get there. Yeah. Hopefully um, society won't be falling apart by the time you come <laughs> and they, well, there won't be a gas shortage or monkeypox oh my god yeah that's the new thing i'm like i try not to think too much about it but today i think because i'm pmsing i was feeling like so depressed about the state of the world not to be a downer but just like now there's monkeypox every time i drive past the gas station it's like 10 cents higher uh everything's fucking expensive i feel so poor and depressed (laughs) (laughs) and here there's also because we're in now nearly winter there's a massive influenza outbreak so all the kids like i know some schools have nearly almost been wiped out by this outbreak of influenza and everyone is like they are so sick Mm. um because i guess no one's been anywhere and had you know any germ interactions for a few years so yeah it's like all of our immune systems are like weaker actually (laughs) yeah yeah my, ca- my kids had influenza B a few years ago, like before pre-COVID and everything, and that was the sickest they've ever been. So I'm hoping they miraculously avoid it this time, but who knows? Mm. Yeah, who knows? Um, fun times. Fun times. <laughs> we don't focus too much on the depressing <laughs> parts of life. I don't know. I guess maybe some people use this podcast or true crime podcast to forget about the horrors of everyday life, life and just... <laughs> hear about the horrors of some people's lives (laughs) yeah but yeah we're definitely gonna talk about some horrors today some very horrific stories we're gonna talk starting with well this episode's the main story is about Lacey Fletcher who we mentioned in the last podcast she was basically left on a couch by her parents for 12 years to just die in her own filth so we're gonna talk about that crazy story and cases of people who were neglected by family members so something something different than the norm yeah definitely a bit different so so horrendous i can't believe it yeah but a lot of we didn't just like randomly be like oh let's just do an episode and neglect a lot of people when the story the headlines about it were so like shocking we got a lot of messages saying that they wanted people wanted us to do an episode on it or to learn more about it so we're gonna do it Well, we'll start with Lacey. If you can't count on your damn parents, just who can you count on? Sheila and Clay Fletcher have both been indicted in the death of their daughter in Louisiana. They're being accused of allowing 36-year-old Lacey Fletcher to waste away and eventually melt into a damn sofa. Literally, Lacey, who lived with her parents in Slaughter, just outside of Baton Rouge, was found dead, partially nude and sitting upright, while also being submerged in a hole in a couch covered from head to toe in urine, feces, and insect bites. The poor woman had bed sores that went down to the bone. Her body was found with live bugs and rodent excrement on it. 
A grand jury handed down the indictment in the murder of the 36-year-old who weighed less than 100 pounds. We simply can't make this kind of nasty ass up. Who are these people? Who are these damn parents? Meanwhile, we're told Lacey may have sat in her own filth for about 12 years, according to the coroner. She was found covered in maggots. Investigators say she died of acute medical neglect dating back to at least 2010. Lacey was born named Lacey Ellen Fletcher on November 25th, 1985. She grew up in Slaughter, Louisiana, and her parents were Clay and Sheila Fletcher. We haven't been able, we haven't seen anything saying if she had any other siblings. It seems like she was probably an only child. I'm pretty, like, 99% sure that she is an only child. Well, yeah, is an only child. Yeah, I haven't seen any mentioned either. I just thought um, there might be some other sibling that didn't want to be associated with it. But from what I'm, I'm pretty sure that she was an only child. Yeah. We believe that her family lived in their home on Tom Drive for almost her entire life. We couldn't find any sale records for it, and the public records say that the home's been, like, that they've lived there since 1995. So Lacey would have been around nine years old when they moved there. That's just our, our own calculations. <laughs> it's um, a small home. It's set on 3.64 acres. It's 1,755 square feet, single-family home located at 2568 Tom Drive, Slaughter, Louisiana. Her parents in a lot of articles have been described as church-going pillars of the community. Sheila, the mom, she worked as a police and court clerk in Baker, Louisiana. And most recently, she worked as the assistant to the city prosecutor in Zachary, according to her LinkedIn page. Sheila resigned from her post on the town's board of aldermen on January 24th, 2022. She served for four years, most recently as a mayor pro tem. And we didn't know what that was, so we looked it up and it says, The common use of pro tempore in the United States is in municipalities such as cities and towns with regard to the position of the mayor. In many cities, the city council appoints one of its members to act as mayor pro tempore or pro tem or vice mayor in the absence of the actual mayor. So sounds like she had some kind of important jobs, I'd say. And she was, sounds um, like she was very well known in the community. Like it's not like these people were kind of hermits or recluses or anything who never went out. Everyone seems like they knew who they were. Yeah. And we couldn't find what Clay, the dad, really did for work. He was an officer for he was an officer of the nonprofit Baton Rouge Civil War Roundtable, which has a mission quote, to educate and foster an appreciation for the sacrifices made by all during the Civil War. Very specific. Yeah, I was just about to say those exact words. Very specific. Very Oddly niche. specific. <laughs> Lacey, she seemed to have a fairly normal childhood, as far as we can tell. She attended Brownsville Baptist Academy, where she was on the volleyball team. There's some photos of her time there that we'll put on the blog. I mean, she looks just like a, a normal derpy kid. It looks like she might have braces in one of the photos. She's kind of got blonde, shoulder-length hair. Yeah, it looks like she's going through her kind of awkward yeah. phase that everyone goes through. But yeah, she yeah. just looks like a normal, healthy, happy kid, you know, standing around with her friends in one photo. There's six of them or seven of them wearing graduation caps. And then there's another yearbook photo of her that's been made public. So, yeah, she just looks like a normal ninth grader, really. Yeah, by derpy, I just meant like a normal, <laughs> awkward-looking teen around that age. <laughs> so a neighbor of the Fletcher family named Robert Blades, he described Lacey as just a fun, normal kid. He said, 
When I saw her that last time, she appeared fairly physically normal. He said she was always pretty thin and she was exercising in the road with those small weights you carry. I'd see her a few times, gently getting some exercise in the roadway. I didn't say anything to her the final time. There was no reason to. Um, so from what we've read, Lacey, she was on the autism spectrum and her condition and her condition intensified around ninth grade, around when she'd be 14 years old. Her parents at that point took her out of school and began to homeschool her, apparently. Robert Blades, the neighbor, again, he has a son that's also named Robert. So Robert Jr., he said she became different. She just didn't see things the way a lot of other kids did. She was definitely different from other kids her age. I knew she was not your typical teenager. She was smart. She was as smart as hell, but I guess the best way to put it is that she wasn't as mature as us. She still liked children things, not teenage things. When she was 17 or 18, she was born to Disney movies and country music. He said she did invite us over to watch Disney movies despite being more withdrawn, but that wasn't my forte. I was 18. I used to ride motorcycles. I like that you just had to throw in that last line. (laughs) (laughs) One of Lacey's friends from ninth grade also spoke to the media and they said, I remember her as a sweet, kind person. She was one of the first people that I was friends with when I started at the school and she was already there. She was thoughtful. Just sweet is the word I keep coming back to. One of the sweetest people you could ever meet. Very kind. Um, She could be quiet, but could also be vocal with her opinions. So we've read some other articles that suggest that she also suffered with severe social anxiety and she was treated by a psychologist over a three-year period in her teens. After she was pulled out of school, very few people saw her. It seems like it would have been around 1999 or 2000 when she was pulled from school. Again, that's our own calculation. So if she was 14 around then and she would have been born in 1985. Yeah. Um, so there's an article about Lacey's background. And it says that in 2010, the parents went to the doctor's office without Lacey and asked for his advice. They said she was increasingly not wanting to leave the house, not wanting to leave the sofa and was just a total recluse. In 2017, the neighbor, Robert Blades Sr., I'm assuming. <laughs> Robert Blades Sr. <laughs> Who knows? Junior. One of the Roberts. I, I'm pretty sure most of the quotes are senior. Okay. In 2017, the neighbor, again, Robert Blades, realized that he hadn't seen Lacey for a long time, so he asked Clay, Lacey's father, about her. Robert said, I asked Clay because I hadn't seen her for so long. I thought maybe she got married and moved on. I said, how's Lacey? How's she doing? Has she moved off? Went to college or what? And he replied, oh, no, she's still here. She's fine. And then changed the subject. And that's it. He didn't explain why we hadn't seen her at all. So on January 3rd, 2022, around 2 a.m., Sheila Fletcher, that's the mom, called 911 to report that Lacey was not breathing. It's unclear why she decided to call at this time. Some reports say that a neighbor was present at the home and maybe suggested that she call authorities. Robert Blades, the famous neighbor, has had a lot to say. Um, <laughs> There's always he's... one. One nosy neighbor in every every episode. Yeah. I can't <laughs> even judge because I would 100% be the nosy neighbor. <laughs> So Robert, he said, there was one neighbor here, we don't know who it was, had supposedly seen Lacey on the couch like that and told the parents they had to call the police. And that's what we were told. I don't know how much truth there is in that. A sheriff's deputy was dispatched to the scene and quickly called coroner Dr. Bickham. The description of the scene is really pretty graphic, probably one of the more graphic things we've talked about. So just be warned, it's talking about really severe neglect and some of her injuries and the filth that she was living in so just be warned if you're not in a setting where you can listen to that 
save it for later or I don't know. So the sheriff said, I've been a sheriff for six years and I have had a lot of things happen here in East Feliciana Parish, but this type of scene was by far the worst. Coroner Bickham said he opened the door, walked into the house. There was a stench, an odor, feces, fecal material, urine. You couldn't hold your breath. District Attorney Sam DeQuilla, who sought murder charges and will prosecute the Fletchers at trial, he shared images with the Daily Mail. I know everyone loves Daily Mail, but <laughs> they got the scoop. Yeah, they always um, do. I know they're so trashy, but they always seem to have... It's like TMZ. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone's always like TMZ's trash, like don't trust them. But TMZ, even though, yes, they are like kind of trash, very reliable. <laughs> um, the journalist from Daily Mail got to see the images and kind of learn more about the scene. So this is from their website. Um, the district attorney, he did say that they wouldn't release the photos for publication, uh, which I guess is understandable because they're pretty terrible. So this is a description of the images, according to the Daily Mail. It says, Nearly all were unpublishable due to their horrifyingly graphic content. In them, Lacey appears almost buried up to her shoulders in the wide and deep hole in the sofa that her bony body had worn over the years, rubbing away the cushioning. She slumped over on her left side with her right arm across the top half of her emaciated body near her neck. She is naked apart from a small blue pattern t-shirt which is pulled up on her chest and does not cover her breasts. Her eyes are wide open, staring. Her mouth is also open, revealing what appears to be a full set of front teeth. Her legs are pulled up and crossed underneath her, ironically in a way that people would sit to make themselves comfortable, but in Lacey's case, it was a posture of a bid to survive. Her face is covered in large and angry red blotches. Excrement is smeared over almost all of her body. It's matted in her hair. It's even inside her ears. There are maggots and insect bites all over her body. The brown leather sofa that served as her prison is alongside a wall with a gap of about 18 inches. Astonishingly, to the couch's right side is a gray commode and a neat pile of clothes. And to the front, only a few feet away, is a cluttered low black table it's strewn with lotion bottles, some talcum powder, a pack of wipes, nasal spray, a box with a lid that had a child's photo on it, and other items that make it appear the Fletchers had the resources to clean their stricken only child. Between the sofa and table are two neatly stacked boxes of DVDs. It's not possible to discern the titles, but some appear to be childlike from the covers. Desperately sad photos of Lacey taken later on on the physician's steel table for a forensic examination further revealed the extent of her harrowing and so far unexplained ordeal. She weighed just 96 pounds when discovered, dead in the early hours of January 3rd. Close-ups show the flesh on her buttocks appears to be literally worn or eaten away from 12 years that she hadn't moved on the couch. There are large, raw, yellow areas where the skin has disappeared. Other back and buttock areas are so blackened, it's impossible for anyone to identify what exactly they're looking at. Part of a video taken by um, Dr. Bickham was also seen by the Daily Mail. He was among the first on the horror scene after a sheriff's deputy responded to a 911 call and documented the appalling spectacle. He's breathing heavily as he moves the camera to the gap behind the sofa in the wall. A large wet patch is on the floor directly behind Lacey's body, which he believes is urine. District Attorney DeQuilla said as he revealed the horror to us, us is in the Daily Mail, he said, you can't say she wasn't in pain. 
Dr. Bickham has revealed Lacey died from severe medical neglect, which led to chronic malnutrition, acute starvation, immobility, acute ulcer formation, osteomyelitis, which finally led to sepsis. It sounds like she actually really did literally rot, like her skin, I guess, necrotized. And I just can't even imagine the pain and the torture that she went through after being on that couch for what sounds like probably years and years. I just, I can't even believe that it happened. <laughs> yeah, like bed sores, basically. Bed sores, um, to the most severe bed sores you could ever have, essentially, I guess. Upon further investigation, authorities determined that Lacey had not been seen by a doctor since she was 16, which would be over 20 years ago. She weighed 96 pounds and she had COVID when she died. So another thing, like clearly her parents must have given her COVID because how else would she have gotten COVID? Yeah, if she hasn't like, left she the hasn't left for however long, yeah. I wonder if COVID is, in the end, what... Like, I know she had all these other horrible things, but it maybe it what just finally, pushed her... Like, yeah, put, pushed her body over the edge or something like that. Yeah. The coroner reported that Lacey died 24 to 48 hours before her mother called 911. So there's some reports, and especially there was a lot of early reports, saying that Lacey suffered from locked-in syndrome, which is a rare neurological disorder in which there is complete paralysis of all voluntary muscles except for the ones that control the movements of the eyes. Individuals with locked-in syndrome are conscious and awake but have no ability to, pr to produce movements outside of eye movement or speak. Cognitive function is usually unaffected. Communication is possible through eye movements or blinking. Locked-in syndrome is caused by damage to the pons, a part of the brainstem that contains nerve fibers that relay information to other areas of the brain. So that was said early on, but now it's being said that that's is not true it's i don't know there's like a lot of back and forth about it so i wonder how anyone would even know if she hadn't seen a doctor since she was 16 like she could have had it like i don't know maybe this is going to be part of the parents defense or something like that but yeah so the coroner said that um the coroner also denied a report that Lacey had suffered from a rare neurological disorder called locked-in syndrome. He said, I don't know where that term came from or what source it came from. In all my years as a practicing physician, I've never heard that term. And he said, the only diagnosis that I know she had was first social anxiety, severe autism, and that's it. Those are her only two diagnoses. So, yeah, like you were saying, she hadn't been to a doctor in so long that who even knows like what her current diagnoses were at that time I think people maybe came up with a like I, obviously I don't know maybe her parents did say this at some point along the in you know along the way but maybe people came up with this kind of locked in theory as a possible theory because why else you know why wouldn't she have gotten up why do you know what I mean like yeah. she wasn't actually physically disabled she she did have at one stage use of her legs and her arms and things like that so I think people might just be looking for an explanation yeah, like fill in the gaps kind of. Yeah, yeah. So Lacey's parents said during questioning that she was intellectually sound until the end of her life. Sheila, the mother, her story was that Lacey was alive at 10 p.m. Sheila fell asleep in a chair and woke up at 2 a.m. to find Lacey dead on the couch. She said that Lacey refused to get off the couch in years and would just use the couch as a toilet. So despite the horrible conditions that Lacey was found in, her parents weren't immediately charged with anything. On May 3rd, 2022, which was four months after she died, Clay and Sheila were both charged with second-degree murder. They were arrested after a grand jury decided, along with the attorney Sam DeQuilla, that they should face the second-degree murder charges and not manslaughter charges. 
Sheila was released on May 4 after she posted 300K in bail. Clay spent one more night in jail because they couldn't get his bail and bond ready, but he was released the following day. I have read they used a bondsman, which means they only had to put up 12% of the bail cost, which was $72,000 to cover them both. Which is still a lot to just put down. Cash, yeah, like a lot of cash or I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I never can figure out how it works. I know that sounds dumb, but like I, no, no. assets or like can uh, – and I think it's different everywhere. Like some places you can use your assets, some it has to be cash. And Yeah, anyway, I don't know either. Still a lot. Um, the couple's first arraignment is due in the next few months, and Sam Dequilla has said that a trial could commence by October. The grand jury were shown the photos that we spoke about earlier. Um, the coroner was there, and he told the media that the photos were so horrific and upsetting that they had medical staff on standby for the 12 members, I'm guessing in case they were into shock or you know That's anything. Sick. Yeah. Um, he said that the photos of the scene left those in the room speechless. He said, when I was presenting the case and showed the pictures and gave the timeline, the expressions of the grand jury was utter shock. It was like the clock on the wall never moved again. There was complete silence. Some jurors were gasping in horror. Some were staring in disbelief. The coroner Bickham also told the media that the case had been really hard on him personally and that the grand jury day and proceedings was a long and emotional day. He said seeing those photos again and reliving this traumatic experience again was really hard. He spoke outside the court and his opinion is that Lacey had been on that couch for at least 12 years. He said evidence-wise, a minimum of 12 years could be before that at least 12 years, a terribly long period of time, which is just mind-blowing how someone mm-hmm. could survive that, that for 12 years yeah sam dequila spoke outside the court too and he said i believe justice was served here today lacey fletcher didn't deserve the way she was treated for this type of crime second degree is the highest charge that could have been produced today he also said ne- negligent homicide is zero to five years manslaughter is zero to 40 years and second degree is life in prison I will ask for second degree because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. He said that Lacey's death was a crime against humanity. And he also said, I hope this indictment brings some spotlights to victims of this type of crime. He said, the coroner has a lot of authority and a lot of power. If people don't want to get treatment or they refuse treatment, go to the coroner's office, go to law enforcement, check on your neighbors, check on your friends. If you are a caregiver, reach out and make sure people are taken care of. He also finished up by saying, you don't treat anyone or any animals like that. Something had to be done and we all got together. We all stood on the same platform and we are all here now and we have an indictment for second degree murder. I'm glad that they like went for second degree murder instead of just like negligent homicide or manslaughter because like they did pretty actively kill her by not just leaving her there like and it wasn't wasn't, like how can you say it was an accident for 12 years yeah that's what I mean like it wasn't just like it happened over one or even you know a few days 12 years according to the coroner so yeah I agree I think second degree is definitely warranted in this case yeah like even though it's still neglect and negligent it was still like there was like an intent it seems or they could have done something for 12 fucking years and they had read like I know we'll probably talk about it at the end too but they had resources they like she had a, you know, a, a sounds like a semi-decent job. They had funds, like they had $72,000 of cash. So um, like I, there was no reason for them to deny any treatment or, you know, at least basic care needs to her. Yeah. And she could have gotten, like they could get benefits through the government, like even if they couldn't really afford it, like she could have been put on Medicaid, she could have gotten help, they could have gotten a nurse, a living nurse, or even if they just really wanted her to like fuck off and didn't want to take care of her, they could have put her in some type of home. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of options that they didn't take. 
there's another example in this case of a lawyer and kind of the parents being the worst. Kind of reminds me a bit of Brian Laundrie's family and attorney. Yeah. The quotes (laughs) Um, remind me of the Laundries. Yes. So they have a lawyer named Stephen Moore and he said of the parents, they don't want to relive the pain of losing a child through the media. They have been through a lot of heartache over the years. Anyone who has lost a child knows what it's like. So no mention of poor Lacey and the conditions that she endured for over a decade, just about the parents don't want to relive it through the media. They let her rot like a corpse on a fucking couch for 12 years, but they don't want to relive the death. That was probably like Lacey's probably happy she finally fucking died. Yeah. I like I don't even know why he made that statement. It just is so right, like just redundant don't. and pointless. Like he could have said something about, you know, the parents are devastated or but he it was just all about them and about what they want. It was, you know, nothing no acknowledgement of Lacey, no acknowledgement of, you know, what happened to her. It was just about them, which I think is probably what happened, you know. They didn't want yeah. to deal with it. They they would have been much better off just not making a comment versus making that comment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there isn't a whole lot of other information about Lacey's case out there at the moment. The most recent media update at the time of recording was two weeks ago. Um, I'm assuming things will start kind of ramping up again once the parents' trial starts happening. Um, I wish, like personally, I wish we knew more about her life after she was pulled out of school, her kind of conditions and diagnoses. I wish, I don't know, maybe that will come out in the trial, but I just am fascinated to learn how she went from being in high school, you know, having friends to the end of her life. I just can't believe the decline and progression for her. I'm just curious as to what her parents will have to say like what is their reasoning what even in their like obviously wrong minds like what what did they think why did they think this was okay what did they think was going on because clearly she couldn't have literally just sat there for 12 years without them looking at her or interacting with her in some sort of way they must have had to feed her occasionally or she would have died much sooner even to give her water like even you know you would you would die after not too long without water so they obviously did enough to keep her alive and they did notice when she died pretty quickly i think um the coroner said that he believes she died 24 to 48 hours before the mother called 911 so like i guess you know it wasn't like she was dead on the couch for a month it was only a matter of a few days which i guess what's a few days when you've been on the couch for 12 years but yeah that's what i mean like they didn't just like leave her in the room and come in like once a week or something i mean i guess they could have but timing was only a day or two at that point but i just don't get how their house wasn't huge no that's what i was gonna say smelled that's that's why i put the information about the house because you can go and have a look and it's just a small little house like i think we said what it was 1700 square feet or something which yeah i know my feet conversion isn't very good but it's small i think that's a small house it's like the bigger end of small yeah it's like you would still smell this and you couldn't avoid that there was basically a rotting body in your living room on the couch i'm assuming they probably had one living room maybe two or three bedrooms a bathroom a kitchen so yeah they had no other space to get away from her and like yeah it's not like they had a 20 room house where they could just shut the door and leave her to die basically so yeah and I, i just i also can't believe that nobody else knew about this for 12 years did they maybe they didn't have anyone over like where's the I wonder if they've got any extended family extended yeah it's just crazy that this somehow slipped through the cracks for at least 12 whole years 
we say that so often on this podcast, like how this slipped through the cracks that clearly like this shit just slips through the cracks sometimes. But yeah, yeah, they must not have had like extended family around. Like I wonder, did ex- maybe they didn't talk to extended family? Didn't when they like wonder where she was or, you know, haven't heard about Lacey in a while or seen any pictures of her or. Well, even the neighbor like didn't really seem even though he asked about her once you know I guess you just like if I said if I like you know had a similar situation to my neighbor where's Sally and he's like oh yeah she's around I'd be like oh okay maybe I just haven't seen her yeah but it's um I guess you wouldn't really you would never ever surely your mind would never go that something like this would happen which I couldn't imagine just turning some sort of mental illness obviously that you can one do this to another human being but just that you can disregard such filth in your house like there's literally maggots like just pee and poo and besides leaving her to rot how do you deal with knowing that that is right in your house it's just uh, as a parent I just don't even know like and especially for both parents like maybe this would be a little bit more understandable if say she just lived with Sheila or something but I just can't believe both parents who lived in the house went along with it or thought it was acceptable. Yeah, like I'm sure for them, it's just like how did it start? Because I'm sure, you know, after a year or two of just leaving her on the couch, then they were like, well, what do we do now? And they just left her there. But it's like, how did we get to this point? Yeah, I don't don't even know. I just don't even, and I guess it's a good thing that we can't understand the mindset of these people. But yeah, how could it ever, ever, ever get to that stage? It has to. It's kind of like like with when we did the Turpin episode, how it was just like they just didn't get that what they were doing was abuse. They did, but it was like they also didn't. Like they just were so out of touch, and something was just clearly wrong in their brains that they just didn't comprehend why this was wrong. It's interesting because, like, when I was researching this episode, a lot of the cases of neglect it goes along with hoarding and kind of filth mm-hmm. as well. So. There's obviously some correlation. I, d- I don't think so much in this case. Obviously, like the couch was just, you know, repulsive and disgusting and there was filth around that. But I think from what I've read, the rest of the house was all right um, and very neat on the outside and things like that. So I just wonder if it's just about it, like a loss of control in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, I think they probably just at some point got overwhelmed and just turned a blind eye to it, which is yeah. not not what you should do. but. You know, even on a much, much smaller scale, sometimes when like I get very stressed out or I get anxious, I'll just like ignore the thing for a long time. But for me, the thing is like editing the podcast or like doing yeah. an Instagram post, not <laughs> cleaning, like, out your, leaving, cleaning out your wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, not like leaving someone to die. Yeah. But I get like how it could probably be similar where at some point they're just like, I can't handle this because I'm sure that having um, a child who has any sort of disability has to be difficult as a parent and has to be exhausting and stressful in some situations. But that's why I know that not everyone has access to resources. It's not always that easy, but it seems like they weren't totally poverty stricken where they couldn't have helped her in some capacity or gotten her into like a state funded program, gotten her on Medicaid, gotten a nurse or something, put her in some sort of home that could better help her like literally anything would be better than what they did yeah I um did have a look too and they did put up an obituary for Lacey it's very short it says Lacey Fletcher daughter of Clay and Sheila Fletcher of Slaughter Louisiana was called to be with her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on January 3rd 2022 and that's it then it just goes into the details about when her actual funeral service is or was which would be January 11th 
Um, so basically no tribute to her on yeah. there really, just the ba- bare basics. So we'll have to keep you updated when the trial does start, hopefully by October, as the district attorney said. Um, I feel like surely they have to be convicted based on, uh, like I'm assuming the jury will probably see what the grand jury saw in terms of the photos and things like that. I just, I, I, I can't even think of an excuse that would exonerate them. I guess, of course, they're going to plead like not guilty and probably try to say something dumb like they didn't know how bad it was. But it's like they can't even plead insanity or anything like that because she also had, I was going to say before, it's not like she, I don't, we don't really know what the dad did, but the mom, she wasn't a moron. She had pretty decent, like important jobs where she couldn't be a moron. And what are the odds of them both being, even if they were going to go down that route, both of them being able to plead insanity? I just feel like it's, yeah. there's not really that I can see a way out for them out of this. They'll probably, be. I'd imagine they'll probably at least try to go for like negligence or something instead or try to lessen, Yeah, like try to convince them it was just negligence. But There is one other horrific case of neglect that was actually suggested to us by one of our forum members to discuss today. It's a British case. In 2000, August 2017, a woman named Valerie Wallach, who was 67 years old, was found barely alive in a rotten armchair in her home. The home was squalid and it was filled with rubbish and Valerie was covered in maggots when she was discovered. The authorities who discovered Valerie have said that she was living in the worst conditions they had ever seen. Paramedics said that Valerie was in a chair, she was pale, struggling for breath, had a vacant look and her skin was inflamed and covered in flies. The prosecutor, Richard Pratt, said there's a collective experience of the fire officers that has spanned well over 30 years, and they had never seen a living human being in such a poor condition. So um, I know before we mentioned the hoarding, there's lots of photos online of Valerie's house. It is an absolute hoarder house. It's filled with rubbish, like waist deep. Just the toilet is absolutely filthy. I don't even know what those things on the floor in the bathroom are, but the toilet is like full of whatever is in there. Um, it looks like what you'd see on an episode of Hoarders if you absolutely. ever watch that. Absolutely. There was when the authorities arrived, there was bags covering Valerie's legs. So I'm assuming that the bags were kind of piled up while she'd been sitting in the chair. Her legs were found to be sore, swollen, and were covered in a thick brown slime. Due to the amount of junk and trash in the house, paramedics and firefighters discussed removing a window to get Valerie some help. Her husband, Richard, objected to this as he said they were new windows and there could be insurance implications. (sighs) So poor Valerie was rushed to hospital where she was treated for advanced breast cancer, organ failure and pressure sores. It took staff at the Royal Liverpool Hospital 90 minutes to clean her and her teeth were so decayed that she was unable to speak and she screamed in pain when staff tried to clean her mouth. When she went to the hospital, Richard, her husband, told the authorities that Valerie had just collapsed in the armchair recently. He said she was still responsive but was babbling. He said he couldn't call an ambulance as he didn't have a phone. Um, The doctor thought, though, that it was more likely she had been in that chair for at least weeks, if not months. When she went to hospital, she was covered in feces and there were maggots in the folds of her skin. Some of her pressure sores were categorized as grade four, which is the most serious type, and it even caused her skin to shed right down to the bone. I can't even imagine the pain of that. It would just be unbearable. Kate Johnson, who's a tissue viability support nurse at the hospital, said that Valerie was brought in in an appalling state. 
She said her clothing was covered in feces. She hadn't washed in some time. There was newspaper stuck to her clothing and a pot noodle sachet stuck to her leg. So that's like a seasoning sachet that you get with instant noodles. Mm. Um, when Valerie was admitted to hospital, officials have said they found it strange that Richard was more worried about himself. When he told was told by hospital staff that Valerie would probably not survive, he said, thanks for letting me know, but who is going to sort out my problem? I've been constipated for weeks. <laughs> so sad. I just can't believe this poor woman went through. Valerie died on September 12, 2017, 19 days after she was taken to the hospital. Um, An autopsy revealed the cause of death as multi-organ failure, breast cancer, and infected pressure ulcers. Her breast cancer had spread to her brain, spine, and ribs. She was only diagnosed with cancer upon her admission to hospital, so who even knows how long she'd been suffering with it beforehand. Mm -hmm. Richard was charged with gross negligence manslaughter. His story, which is kind of similar to Lacey's parents was that it had been Valerie's decision to spend all her time in the armchair. He said he originally helped her upstairs to use the toilet, but she eventually became immobile. He said that she slept in the chair. He told authorities that he would check on her several times a day and would give her food such as fish and chips and give her coke to drink. He told the detectives, we were together for 25 years and I loved the bones of her. In court, his Queen's counsel, David McLaughlin, asked if he was responsible for Valerie's death and he said, I take offense at that. I am not guilty for the death of my wife. No way. When they, when he was shown pictures of the state of the filth in the house, Richard said, I am an untidy person. I am just generally untidy. So, you know, there's another photo here I've put in of a hallway. There's like magazines. It's all the walls are peeling. It's just, yeah, not a healthy place to live. Richard was examined by a psychologist and he was found to be suffering from a hoarding disorder. He was shown photos of his wife and her injuries and in his words, she looked, quote, very bad. He said, I must have had a mental lapse or something. I do not recall those injuries at all. I looked after her to the best of my abilities. I assumed she was all right. He said, if she had been in pain, she would have let me know and I would have done something about it. When the authorities asked him about the smell from the filth and trash in the home, he said he hadn't noticed and that he'd used used to open windows and he'd used air freshener. During kind of his trial and his legal proceedings, Sharon Campbell, who's a lawyer with the Complex Casework Unit, said that Richard said he was unaware of Valerie's deteriorating health despite the fact he was the only person living with her and caring for her. This is hard to believe, bearing in mind the condition in which she was found by the paramedics. He preferred to stay upstairs when things deteriorated. The Crown Prosecution Service said this was because he chose to ignore the fact that Valerie was dying and to ignore the fact that she needed medical help. He told police that he cared for her to the best of his ability, but there appeared to be no care of his wife in the last few months. The condition in which Valerie was found was nothing short of appalling. Her last few months on earth were spent in pain, filth and squalor. Medical reports confirmed she died prematurely as a result of pressure sores and sepsis. The jury saw through his claims and found him guilty of gross negligence manslaughter. She said this is a shocking and disturbing case indeed. In 2019, Richard was sentenced to eight years in jail, which seems quite lenient, I think. I guess he was only, I know it's Britain and all that, so it's a bit different, but he was only charged with manslaughter in the end. So Mm -hmm. he did get eight years in jail. The judge at the time said to Richard, you are self-obsessed, by which I mean you are excessively preoccupied with your own life and circumstances and think only about yourselves. Um, And then he also said, in other words, you are a thoroughly selfish man. And in this instance, your selfishness led directly to the death of your wife. Your neglect of your wife was extreme and led to her living the last few months of her life in, in appalling conditions. 
One interesting thing he pointed out too was that even though Richard had a hoarding disorder, he had no other mental problems and the rooms that he used were kept clean and tidy. The judge said, this leads me to the inescapable inescapable conclusion that you simply couldn't be bothered to take the same care of your wife as you took of yourself. So that is another case. Um, I think it's probably a little bit different because it's a husband caring for a wife. I know it's still a caregiver situation. Um, I found a stat from the US Justice Department that said that caregiver neglect is one of the most unreported types of abuse with only one out of every 57 cases being reported. Neglect is also one of the most common types of elder abuse. I guess that's because obviously in a lot of cases, the people who are being neglected are unable to speak up for themselves for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I've probably seen pretty much every episode of Hoarders and Richard definitely comes off like a lot of people you see on the show I was just thinking about it while I was listening but even just how how they wanted to take take her out the window or something he's like oh no those are new windows like that'll be like an insurance problem or whatever (laughs) which like in the grand scheme of things like hello your wife is dying like can you please like not worry about the windows right now yeah it's like in every episode of hoarders the people always focus on like something so small and it seems so stupid to us but clearly it's like a mental illness there'll be like um a bowl like covered in rat shit or something and the person from the show is like okay we're gonna throw out this bowl is that okay with you it's covered in rat shit it's gross and they'll be no 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 that's a brand new bowl i never even got to use it we have to keep it like we can wash it and they're like melissa it's covered in rat shit we're getting rid of it and they'll be like no 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 we can't and this what is like if a we real, need it? What if we need it? Yeah. And this was like a real episode where then the guy, the organizer guy, Matt Paxton, my fave, he was like, if I shit in this bowl right now, would you say the same thing? Like, would you be like, no, we can wash it and it'll be fine? <sighs> and she was like, I guess not. But it's just like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And I know with hoarding, I guess this could all kind of like relate back to the neglect thing because a lot of times with hoarding the people have a hard time dealing with loss or there's like some sort of loss in their life and they can't cope with it and it kind of starts out like keeping all these things because they're afraid to lose them and then just grows and grows and grows into a bigger problem it makes me wonder if maybe with him and even with um Lacey's parents if they saw if he saw like his wife's condition or Lacey's condition like declining and they didn't want to deal with that and they couldn't cope with it they couldn't cope with like the loss or just like the stress worrying that you're gonna like lose your loved one or that they're gonna have this like terrible life because of whatever disease or illness they have that if this was like their way of coping with it by being like if I just keep them over there on this couch then I don't have to face the reality that my loved one is very sick yeah like that's the only way I can make it make sense which it still doesn't but yeah and I like I do agree and I I don't want to minimize what you know, either Valerie or Lacey endured, but I, I don't think essentially probably it was done actually maliciously. It was done out of a loss of control and a loss of, you know, knowing what to do, which doesn't excuse it at all. But, yeah, no. I, I, f- I feel like that's kind of what you were saying maybe. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like a really bad coping mechanism, yeah, which, yeah. like you said, doesn't make it right and it's not an excuse. And yes, they should be punished, but that's the only way I could make it make sense in my head of like, how can you just let someone die on a couch for this long? There has to be something wrong with you. Kind of along the same lines of just how they seem to ignore this problem to not have to deal with the stress and sadness of the situation of their loved one being ill. 
it can also go along with um, compassion fatigue, which was something I wanted to point out. It's something that a lot of like caregivers face and being a caregiver is very hard. It's very exhausting. And like I said earlier, especially when someone has a person is diagnosed with like a severe condition or severe disability, especially when it's a loved one of yours, it gets so taxing. I'm sure there's probably so much frustration. So compassion fatigue is a term that describes the physical, emotional, and psychological impact of helping others. Often through experiences of stress or trauma, compassion fatigue is often mistaken for burnout, which is a cumulative sense of fatigue or dissatisfaction. While burnout is one part of this form of fatigue, the term compassion fatigue encompasses a more specific experience, which may be brought about by a stressful workplace environment, lack of resources, or excessive hours. Like I know this is something that a lot of like nurses can face, people who work in nursing homes face. Um, some of the symptoms are mood swings, detachment, addiction, trouble being productive, and insom- insomnia. So I thought detachment clearly kind of seems like something that affected both of these families, where they kind of just detached themselves from the situation and pretended it didn't exist in a way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that kind of all ties into what we were talking about and just something to be aware of if you know anyone who is a caregiver and maybe is feeling very stressed just kind of keep an eye out for them and see if they maybe need help like if Lacey's parents were experiencing something like that say they had like a family friend or a family member or something that noticed this could have maybe intervened could have helped the situation things could have turned out differently and again just to be clear I know we already said this like I'm not making excuses for them but I like to try to see both sides of the situation try to maybe explain why this could have happened like i just like to see both sides of the situation and i feel like hopefully you guys like to hear about both sides of the situation instead of just being like they're terrible people and they should die in a hole and that's it yeah which obviously it is a very terrible thing and they've done they did a terrible thing but yeah they yeah, yeah. They, there would be a reason for it you know it doesn't yeah. it's not it doesn't excuse what they did but just didn't come out of nowhere. I think it's why a lot of people are interested in true crime a lot of times. Like, why are some people so into learning about serial killers or into learning about, like, these people who killed their whole families? It's because we're curious about, like, the why. Like, why would they do this? What in their mind would make them do this? Like, how how come some people don't kill their whole families and some do? Like, why? Yeah. Like, is that what we all want to know? How do these things happen? Um, another random thing I found while I was looking online... Um, about this case, just seeing what people were thinking. This was when people were talking about if she had locked in syndrome or not, and people were saying, like, no, that was, like, dismissed. And people were like, well, why would she just never get up from the couch? Like, why why did she stay on the couch? And someone commented and said, from the perspective of an autistic person, sometimes things in our brains just don't work the same as neurotypicals. I almost got heat stroke as a teenager because my mom told me to stay in the car while she ran into Target without telling me I could roll down the windows if I got hot, which you probably wouldn't have to tell a neurotypical person. It's very possible that her parents just told her she couldn't get up and she just didn't because she didn't want to break the rules or she just didn't think that she could. So that's a possibility. And even if she started, I'm sure after a while, she just physically couldn't get up, even if at one point she could have after not using your muscles and just sitting there for so long. Yeah, well, it sounds like she absolutely wasted away. So it would have got to a point where she physically couldn't, but I guess it's just still... How did it start? Yeah, and how did it get to that point? And we don't... She could have been immobilized or paralyzed or something for some reason. No one's really specifically said yet. No. 
And I, just yeah, her parents yeah. saying she wouldn't get off the couch. Yeah, and she would only go to the bathroom there. So it's all their word, their word for now. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what is true. Hopefully, we'll learn a bit more when the trial kicks off. Yeah. I guess that's it for this episode. That's it. You can check out our blog. To, you could see photos of the couch that she was on. There's no pictures of what Lacey looked like on the couch. I don't see those being released, probably, considering they're so graphic. But there's pictures of the couch we'll have on the blog. The photos of the couch itself aren't particularly, like, it's sad because you know what happened there but it just looks like a trash couch like it's a brown leather couch you can see where there's obviously you know like where body oils have kind of yeah disintegrated into the couch like it's just a stained rotten couch but you don't see anything with like a big hole on it yeah you don't see anything super graphic in it yeah so that will all be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com you can follow us on Instagram where we always are posting updates. Um, if any other updates come out about her story, that's probably where we'd post them first. So definitely follow us there if you don't yet. Um, you can follow our personal accounts at TCS Olivia and Steph some underscore. Definitely check those out, especially if you want to see more pictures of um, Daisy and the echidna. Olivia will post them. <laughs> it's really good limited time, so make sure you get on yeah. there and have a look. If you need some some eye bleach or, yeah, I guess eye bleach after this horrible <laughs> episode, definitely would want to see that those cute animal besties. Yeah. <laughs> and both of our accounts are tagged in the True Crime Society Instagram bio, so you could just go there and click them. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet, if you could do that, that would be great. Um, helps us cancel out some of the ones that say we're lackluster, which is like so rude. <laughs> I I am full luster. <laughs> Not lacking at all. <laughs> no lacking here. <laughs> but yeah, if you could leave us a review, you can leave like a nice legit review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. You can leave us a rating. We always so 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 appreciate that we shared the nice ones in our instagram story and then sometimes you guys message us and you're like that was me that le- left the review so it's nice to like put like little faces to the reviews <laughs> love that and as always share if you share it in your instagram story we'll repost it but it's really helpful for us to just help try to get the word out there it's a great way to continue to support us an easy free way to do that and check out our sponsors this episode if either of them seem like something you'd be into, Thuma was really cute, great looking furniture, will really make your home look luxurious. And we've got Lumi microdose gummies. They are great, always help me chill out. And you should check them all out because that's another great way to support the show. I think that's it. That's it. We're going, um, I've already started for next week. We're going to talk about Brittany Drexel's case, which is in the media. Oh, yeah, big one. Yeah, that seems like it'll be a good one to do because, like I was saying to you, it happened like 2009 so right yeah 2009 yeah. yeah and it was so long ago at this point that even like i followed it at the time but like i just kind of forgot so much about it because you just assumed kind of it would never be solved at this point and then people who are newer into following true crime don't really know as much about the case so we did get a lot of messages asking us to do an episode on that as well so we're going to do that next week i found it's such a like you because it happened so long ago when I've been doing the notes there are so many wild actual parts of that case that we know now aren't true but at the time they were publicized as being true it's 
I guess it's a good um, supporter for innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> proven guilty because yeah. there was a lot of I'm, people in that case who were accused and probably like yeah. Anyway, we'll go into it next week. But yeah, yeah there was just like crazy informants that were either completely lying or just thought it was some other girl and this guy. Everyone thought it was this one guy, and I I've. If I was him, I'd sue somebody at this point. I know, I know. And he like he had, he had a lawyer from day one almost because they, he was being harassed and even went on Dr. Phil. And now it turns out that he And they were offering him like plea deals. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy story. So we'll get into that one next week. So yeah, we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening. Peace out. See ya. <laughs>